Hi, I'm Brett Johnson, former United States Most Wanted cyber criminal, now good guy, and host of The Brett Johnson Show. Today's episode is episode number 82, Robert Lettiger, former United States Marshal, when we come back. All right, so we are back to today's episode of The Brett Johnson Show. We've got Robert Lettiger coming on the show. He's a former U.S. Marshal. Here's the thing. Um, Unless you've been in trouble, you may not know this, especially unless you've been in federal trouble, you may not know this, but the U.S. Marshals are an outstanding agency. They're the U.S. Marshals Service. Uh, they handle the transfer of a lot of federal prisoners. They, uh, they handle the registration of a lot of federal prisoners. If you get a federal number like mine is 26477018, if you get that number, you get it from the U.S. Marshals Service. They, they process you and give you your inmate number. And um, the reason I bring that up is throughout my entire, not only incarceration period, but all the run-ins I had with federal authorities, the U.S. Marshals Service was always outstanding about treating felons, inmates, convicts, whatever you want to call us. They were outstanding about treating us as human beings with respect, kindness, and decency. Now, that doesn't mean they were not strict. Yes, they are hard asses, but they treated us with respect and kindness and treated us as we were human beings. And you don't always get that when you're you've got your ass in trouble. So I, I I make a point these days if I ever meet a U.S. marshal of thanking them for treating me like that because it's not just one or two agents. It was the entire marshal service that was like that. Today I'm talking to Robert Lettiger. He's a former U.S. marshal, and you're going to hear his story. He's got one hell of a story to tell, and um, I think it needs to get out there. I think he was absolutely screwed over. I think you will agree with that as you hear his story. One of the things that strikes me is, as everyone knows who watches my show, I end my show the same single way every single time I do it. I, I end that by saying, at the end of the day, just do the right damn thing. Robert Lettiger embodied that because you have to understand that doing the right damn thing, sometimes it comes with consequences and sometimes those consequences are very damaging. Okay. Uh, sometimes you can do the right thing and you will suffer for that. I, uh, today I believe in doing the right thing regardless of the consequence. And I have, I've absolutely lost some speaking engagements. So I, I, I lost a friend by doing that. And she was one who, uh, who helped bring me into the speaking industry as, as a whole. But, um, you know, me, my insistence on always doing the right thing, regardless of always calling out, not only the criminals that are out there, but the supposed good guys that are screwing up. Sometimes that sits wrong with those you are calling out. And sometimes it pisses people off. Robert Lettiger did the right damn thing. And because he did the right damn thing, he suffered the consequences. And you're going to hear his story. And before, and I'm not going to say anything more because that being said, I think we just need to go directly into the interview with Robert Lettiger. So without further ado, Robert Lettiger. 
Sorry, I'm running a couple of minutes late. I've got this this 25 pound Chihuahua that just told me she wanted to be let out. So that's the best. <laughs> it always happens when I have a little. Um, well, I don't have a little. I have a 20 pound Bichon Papillon that's supposed to be 11 pounds. Yes, yes, I know that a, story. It's Italian. It's an Italian <laughs> dog now, and always wants to walk when you're not. You don't want to walk. Of course. <laughs> so how's life treating you? Not bad. Doing good. Good, Doing good. So, good. Uh, hey, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me. Um, um, I You were on Matt Cox, right, or no? Yeah, yeah. We're in um, – Matt and I are both in Florida. I'm about an hour south of him in Sarasota. Okay. But, yeah, we connected. Awesome, awesome guy. And uh, it's so funny, you know – a cop talking to, you know, a felon. So I know, but, right? <laughs> but hey, it's the reality of it, man. You know, look what happens. Things go full circle. They know? do. And uh, you know, Matt's been uh, been very good about uh, about turning his life around. He's doing really well with his YouTube channel. He's doing a hell of a lot better with his YouTube channel than I am with mine. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting out there though. You know, I, I I connect with so many people on LinkedIn, just it's which is unbelievable. It helped me so much. And, um, you know, you just start, you know, following different people and jumping well, yeah. on and hoping that they grab onto your story too, you know, and no, talk absolutely. about it. Um, so, so what we'll do, if you don't mind, um, I'll, I'll record the, the intro to this yeah. show after we get through talking and everything. Um, we'll just begin the show. I'll ask you to introduce yourself. We'll talk about some of your background. Cause I, I gotta be honest. Well, I'll save that for the show and, uh, and we'll go from there. So let's go ahead and get started. If you're ready. Yeah, man, I'm good. All right. So on today's show, we've got Robert Lettiger, former United States Marshal. Robert, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Brett, thank you. Thanks for connecting and uh, giving me this opportunity, man. It's great. No, I, I truly appreciate it. So if you don't mind, Robert, if you could uh, if you could let the audience know who you are and we'll just dive into things. Sure. So um, my name is Robert Lettiger. I'm uh, uh, ex-U.S. Marshal, uh, U.S. Navy veteran. Uh, you can tell from my accent, I'm not from the South. I'm from New York, from from Queens, one of the five boroughs. I would have never and thought that. Not at all, right? We sound, <laughs> we have the similar tone here. Uh, I, um, I'm i 52 years old and, um, you know, grew up in a small little town in uh, Queens, New York, which was actually um, on the water, uh, an island in a place called the Rockaways. Okay. Which was awesome, very close to JFK. Um, went in the Navy right out of high school, did about seven years. I was military police and investigator, served in Desert Storm. Nice. Um, got out and went right into the, the U.S. Marshal Service. And um, in the Marshal Service, I was assigned in Eastern New York, Eastern District of New York, which is Brooklyn, is the main office. And it covers Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and then out in Long Island, Nassau and Suffolk County. I did... I was with the U.S. Marshals for for almost 25 years. Wow. I was a de deputy marshal for a good 10 plus years uh, doing, you know, um, the job, working in court, cell block, prison transportation, and some special assignments, protection details, extraditions. And then, of course, going to what everybody wants to do in the marshal is work warrants, you know, the fugitive cases. Okay. And... Um, in New York, it's happening. It's busy all the time. So I had my opportunities there and I um, 
excelled in um, the warrant squad. And then um, I was able to, there were some openings to become a supervisor. So I put in, became a supervisor. And uh, one of my chiefs said I needed to learn, you know, the administrative part of the job and had me working with a, wearing a suit and tie and handling, supervising the guys and girls that went to court all the time and transport and dealing with the judges and the people in the courthouse. Well, that lasted for about a month. And then another chief was like, we need to put him back in a warrant squad because uh, <laughs> he doesn't blend well with. Uh... <laughs> you weren't playing well with others. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough, it's tough, you know, different parts of the job, you know, and certain people can do certain things better than others in that. So I did great in warrants and then I became the supervisor of the warrant squad for a good 10 plus years. And in New York, it's awesome because it's part of the the regional futures task force. It's one of the biggest task forces in the nation. So you go after the worst of the worst. Right. And um, so, like I said, I handled, you know, the, 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 in the city area, which was Brooklyn, Queens and Staten Island, but we also had Long Island, which was Nassau and Suffolk County. And we had um, a courthouse out there in central Islip. Also out there is we had a little um, division for the task force to work warrants out there in, in both counties. Um, and I had assigned a young lady to work out there and she was doing good. She was an army veteran and um, things were changing out there and they made her a team leader and she's a U.S. Marshal. Okay. So she was overseeing a group of men out in Suffolk County. Well, after a little bit of time, some of these guys didn't really, um, take to working with working for her and um, started busting shops and harass, picking on her, you know, nitpick things, petty right. ass shit. And then um, it started getting deeper and deeper and uh, it got into sexual talks and to add more to it, the young lady is a lesbian. So these guys would leave pornographic material on her desk, play to play videos, play songs, and start going more and right. leaving, asking her her ideas or her experience with doing certain things with women, what they should do to their wife. It actually got so bad that one of the men tried to hook up with this girl's girlfriend at a bar after work. So then it just kept going more and more and more. And one guy who was um, a local cop actually made her kiss him every morning as a, you know, a friendship sign, which was right. weird, not, not in this type of work. And she, she let it go and she let the, the breaking chops go, um, but she would write it down. She kept a nice little log. And that one man who made her kiss him one day in the office, just started calling her like a sexy bitch and grabbing her and touching her in front of the other guys. She got upset, left, told me, and me being her supervisor confronted the supervisor of those guys. Right. And then we confronted that guy. He denied it, said it was, you know, taken out of content. And he said he had witnesses. Well, the witnesses were the same guys that were busting her chops. Right. So they denied it. And, um, one of those guys, a few days later, confronts her 
while they're doing a morning arrest of a fugitive, a hit, and hits her, shoves her, pushes her in the, the perp's house in front of a bystander. And the bystander is shocked. The young lady almost falls down. And this guy gives her a look like, we can get to you. Shut your mouth. Stop this shit. She immediately tells me, again, I confront the supervisor. It turns bad. I confront that guy and a couple other guys. And it gets real bad, arguing and exploding into threats of let's fight. Right. After that, I take her off the task force for her own safety. I'm like, this is, I can't protect you. I'm not here all the time. So those guys collude and make up their own story that it's her. She's a woman. She's overreacting. She can't handle this job. I immediately let my chief know. He then talks to the chief of the task force. It can't stay within our level and has to get reported up the chain because the young lady documents it and goes, look, I want to investigation. I'm being harassed. Right. So we send it to internal affairs and um, it goes there. Well, like I said, we were part of this big task force. It's a regional fugitive task force. It's funded by Congress after September 11th. Huge, big money gets shut in there from Congress. Well, the people in headquarters who oversee the task force got involved and shut down the internal affairs investigation and investigated themselves. They selected a special investigator to come in. And this was months later because, you know, the government, they drag their feet. They don't know how to coordinate. So while it's taking time to start an investigation, my chief makes the recommendation with the task force chief is to separate people, to get them out of it. Because we're all in the same workspace, like you're sure. in the same courthouse. So the task force chief agrees, like, let's take two or three of these guys and move them out of here. But they all can still work together when they're on the street. So you, it's just making a tighter group of guys. Right. And it was all guys. You know, it just happens. Um, so while this is still happening, I have to deal with these, these guys because it's part of the warrants and the task force. And I still have people back there, except the young lady. We put her in a different spot in the courthouse to protect her, which she was getting punished for doing her job. Right. Um, so now the investigation starts off. They change it from any type of sexual harassment, assault, or bullying to call it office culture. Like, you know, like, like we're in kindergarten. So, of course, that goes on for a couple of months. During that, the one main guy who actually assaulted the young lady, he gets the courage to know that I'm going to a, the New York Mets baseball game. And he shows up there with a couple of other guys. But this is during law enforcement appreciation night with the Mets. Okay. And there's about 30 or 40 guys from the New York City task force there. So everybody knows everybody. This guy now confronts me at the baseball stadium in front of all these people. We're nose to nose. We're going to fight. And I'm a supervisor. I got everything to lose. But I'm not backing down. Look, I'm from right. I'm from New York, man. I'm from Queens. I'm fi we're fighting now. Right. I become stupid, and we're nose to nose, cursing each other out. And then a couple of guys that I know they stand up, and these guys are like Hulk Hogan that I work with. They're monsters. So now they're all looking at each other, 
but I can't take my eyes off him because he's going to pop me in the mouth. Right. But it just, it just ends, you know, it just ends like that. I'm like, I got to get out of here because now we're all drinking. We're going to get into a fight. You know, we're, we're idiots from New York. And I go up immediately. I call my wife. She's like, what the hell is going on? And I'm like, look, I'm leaving. She's out in Long Island. We live in Long Island now. And I, I go to my parents' house in Queens. I call my chief who just happens to be in headquarters out with the chief from internal affairs. It just happened, you know, you get, so they're like, listen, you got to document this and send it to us immediately. I'm like, all right, I do it the next day. I write it up. But what makes it even better, there was a chief from the task force in New York City's division who saw all this. Okay. So he would, I, I had myself covered. He made a call too and going, look, he's, well, get this guy off the task force because of what he did to me. Not because of what he did to the girl. Right. Which is, so he gets removed. The investigations are going on. Office culture. Months later, they come back out and say, the problem is not the task force. The problem is me, Bobby Lediger, is a supervisor that I'm a bad supervisor that I should have nipped this in the butt before it even got to that level. And the other problem is the young lady for not being able to deflect any of these problems before they became problems. You just can't, you can't make this shit up. Right. But we all see it. You see it in, in politics and the government. And if you, we're not part of the good old boy program, we work in a district and these people were headquarters people. So they had the protection of the upper echelons. Right. Um. So my chief and my marshal, who's appointed by the president, they flip out. They're like, this is bullshit. There's no way. He's like, the supervisor, me, didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't even out there. I reported the incident. You know, I did my job. And I defended a coworker, a subordinate who worked for me, who documented everything. And, you know, we just knew the personalities out there. Right. And uh, so with that, my chief and my marshal is having conversations with leadership of the marshals and headquarters. And they just start dropping all the complaints that she made that they weren't even investigated. And one of the things that drew the attention of a headquarters leader was that one of these men urinated on her food and left it at the desk. And the food being a big animal cracker cookie jar that she would leave on her desk for others to have. But right. somebody peed in it. So she documented that. So this leader from headquarters was appalled by that. So he want that investigated, but not the other thing. So now internal affairs gets involved. They come in and the young lady dumps everything on them. Right. Everything. Right. And internal affairs is like, we're not here to investigate any of that except somebody urinating in your food. She's like, what about these 12 other incidents? I was assaulted. And during that, the same guy who assaulted her, who tried to fight me, tried to run her off the road while they were driving to work. But they didn't want that. We had the video from the courthouse that you could see it, her racing. It's a movie. So 
Now, over a year, this is dragging out. This is from 2014 to 15. Right. So now come 2016, this man who tries to fight me and assault the young lady, Internal Affairs wants to interview him because he's credible. He comes in and before they go into, you know, their, their structure, you know, interview, they just open the door to him and they're like, hey, is there, is there anything you would like to tell us? He's like, oh yeah, Bobby Lettiger, your supervisor, he's a racist. He says the N word hundreds to thousands of times a day. And everybody knows it, but they're afraid to say anything because of the supervisor. But I've been there for over 20 years. So I've been doing this for 20 years. Right. Not only is he a racist, he's associated with a felon and they own a gym in Long Island. I don't go to the gym, man. I'm five foot six, 165 pounds. That's <laughs> it. I, I play hockey. That's it. And not only that, but he gets into domestics with his wife, who just this September, I'll be married for 25 years to this lady. Right. And the cops are at his house all the time. And not only that, he fails to report incidents of criminal activity. I've been doing it. I'm, I'm the supervisor of Warren's Court. I do all this. So they... Invest, they talked to him. Then they just so happened to talk to his partner who was on the task force. Yeah, Bobby Lettiger is a racist. That's the only thing they can stick with. Right. And then another marshal. Yeah, I think now he thinks I said the N word. Because if a marshal, like, where's your integrity, bro? How come you didn't say anything? Then they go to the supervisor and the supervisor task force said, well, he might have said it in the office and somebody might've told me. So you get two local cops saying, I say it every day, all the time, 24 seven, but the people that I deal with all the time and then my internal affairs, boom, I'm the target. Now I'm the target. So I go on for this, it's all bullshit. I now confront the number two guy of the agency and I call him out. So that's from there, he emboldens internal affairs to keep coming after me. And they violate their own policies by digging at right. stuff. There was no, there's no complaints. So I'm proposed removal. They're going to fire me because they're like, no, we think you're lying that you do say the N word, even though we interviewed 16 other people who side with you and disagree with what these five other people are saying, but we believe them. Yeah, because they're from headquarters. Of course you believe them. So I go to get proposed removal. I get hundreds of letters of support. My I have outstanding evals, awards, all this. And we go down to headquarters now in Arlington, Virginia. Me and my lawyer, I have to pay for a lawyer because we have no union. So it comes out of my pocket. Right. As we go see this deciding official, a chief, from the marshals who's designated by the director of the marshal service to review my case. And this is like a judge, you know, I, now I can plead my case to, to her. And solid lady, solid. We give her photographs, evidence of stuff. We, we find so much things on the, more on the guys to support me, my innocence, 
and give her everything. And she knows that I'm being targeted. Like she could hear it. So she's her own person. She reviews it all. And after the things I bring forth, she's like, you never lied. You told the truth. And she goes, because of what you told me, I'm going to have internal affairs go to that task force now to investigate them. So like, perfect. Right. But while we're sitting there, she tells us that she gets a phone call from a civilian woman who wants to tell her that I steal prisoner property and I gave her a cell phone. So this deciding is like, what? So my lawyers are loving it. They're like, oh, you got to, how did this civilian woman and who is this woman get your name and number when this is all secret? Right. You know, this is all confidential what's going on. Of course, we find out that it was the same guy and then his partner, they all ride motorcycles together and they talk and they talked her into doing it. So now I'm getting proposed removal. I'm going to be terminated. But now I have new internal affairs investigations starting on me while I'm being fired. Right. So this lady's like, this is crazy. So she, we end that. And she tells internal affairs about this woman who called her. So that's an, another investigation. And um, it takes this woman to deciding official a couple of days. And she's like, unsubstantiated. You're in the clear. There's not, you did nothing wrong. But I don't get any of that money back. I paid for lawyers. I lost money. And, you know, I'm under investigation for a year. You can't get promoted. You can't do special assignment. You can't do all these things. But they're like, oh, you're good. Good. I just lost thousands and thousands of dollars. And uh, and I still have new internal affairs investigations going on against me. Internal affairs goes and interviews that woman. She Now she got more stuff. This is even better. Yeah. He stole a cell phone and gave it to me, but she doesn't have it anymore. Right. Never any reports of a cell phone anywhere stolen. He stole a camcorder and gave it to me. Where is it? What was reported stolen? Nothing. He steals drugs off prisoners and from the evidence safe. He sells drugs. He takes drugs. He steals money. He steals property. He misuses his government car. I filed for bankruptcy, which that's an automatic dismissal right there with the government. Right. And I'm a bouncer at a bar. And I steal social security numbers and I give it to her to sell them. You just can't make that. This is you, you're a bad man. That's yeah. all there is to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm the worst. But I've been on the job for over 20 years. So here it is. Now I got another investigation against me and it lingers on for a good two or three years. While this is going on, they're just digging up more stuff like pop. But I'm being accused of crimes, legit right. crimes. They never come by and audit me. They don't go into the evidence locker. They don't look for anything missing or stolen, anything like that. But I was audited by DOJ for the district. Outstanding. Everything's there. Everything's accountable. But the marshal service didn't come and do that. Right. They never sent me for a drug test. They didn't pull my 
gas receipts or toll receipts to see if I'm misusing my car, all these things that could clear me and show that these people were lying. They were like, no, we're just going to let it go. And yet I'm under investigation and I'm still working full duty as a supervisor, carrying a gun and a badge and putting people in harm's way. But I'm bad. Where is so, the um, where's the woman during all this? The one that that had been a she's there. She's still working, and um, she then now is being targeted as well. For, we're both being retaliated against. So some of these men are coming out, and they make accusations against her that she misuses her government car. She brought her dog to work. That I give her drugs. You just, so it just creates, you know, like this, this hurricane effect of damage upon us for her doing her job. Right. So it goes on and on and on. Well, I am proposed removal again. And this time it's not good because the woman who's the deciding official, she's a headquarters person. She's friends with some people from that task force. She takes directions from the number two guy who I had called out. But I knew this woman and she knew earlier in the years that I was being targeted and she was against it. But now she's towing the company line and she comes out with these finding that I lack candor, which is the bullshit government that you lie during your investigation. What was so hard to understand is that the chief of internal affairs that was interviewing me at the very end of my interviews with them says it on the record and at my hearing, thank you for your candor and bringing this all to our attention. <laughs> so I'm like, but they can do it. They got, it just, they, they crush you. Right. So she, they come April, 2020, I was fired for conduct on becoming, violating the code of professional responsibility at their opinion. I had all the facts and the truth and everything there. And remember now, April, 2020, we were shut down. The right. government, which it's the pandemic, everything's over. So, by this point, how many years have this been going on, Rob? I was with it with this case with them was over five years. Okay. Over five years. And it was very personal and it was a lot of things said. And um, I had 24 years and 10 months in the Marshal Service. I was 49 years old and I was 70 days from retiring. But what the real, the real knife in the heart is, is that on, like I memorize these dates, it's sick, you know, on Friday, April 17th, 2020, I got an email from Human Resources that your retirement is approved and you can retire on June 30th, 2020. But wait, on Monday, April 20th, 2020 at four o'clock, my chief from the district called me and said, they fired you. Even though I was, that was set. And I was on leave 
right. mind you, because we're doing a pandemic, you could work from home. Not me. I had more days on the books than I did work. So I was using my annual leave and my sick leave. I had nothing pending. We were shut down. And that was it. And that the government's very powerful. So what they want, what they hope, and what so many people say it is, they want you to kill yourself. They want you to die. Right. And they think that you financially cannot afford to fight them. And you can't. It's overwhelming. And um, you need, you got to pay for a lawyer and lawyers are expensive. And we have these, you know, this silly association, FLIOA, which they suck. They're in bed with the agencies. You know, they all give each other T-shirts here and there, you know, a couple of plaques. And then we have this liability insurance, which is, they want you to use their lawyers. I, I don't know these lawyers, you know, you've right. got, I can't get some guy from Wisconsin to defend me and from Brooklyn, you know? So my lawyers were very expensive. They're great, great people. They're so smart. And, um, but we, 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 I got fired and we had to put in uh, uh, an appeal before the Merit System Protection Board, which that's what you have to do as a government employee. And it's a joke. It's a kangaroo court. Right. And the designated judges, they're called, they're administrative law judges. They might not even be a lawyer or a judge. And this woman got my case and she was totally overwhelmed. And like, it was too much. It's complex. And in the beginning during the, you know, the pretrial conferences, mm-hmm. she's making recommendations to the government. Like you should settle. This is ridiculous. You should settle. And they didn't want to do it. They're like, no, we're not budging. You know, he's the, the worst employee ever, you know, and um, we, we never wanted them. But it blows my mind. Why don't you tell the rest of the world then? Why don't you contact these people for the last 20 years that I was, you know, the worst? Right. They didn't do that, you know. And uh, so it was a well over 20, I think December 22. It took two years for my court case because of uh, extensions and adjournments, all the, the typical government stuff. And they, you have to pay all this. Right. So me, I was very lucky. A lot of great people connected with me and, and helped me out and educated me on things. And there was a couple of guys that I became friendly with. And they told me about this police foundation and National Police Defense Foundation is out of New Jersey. And I contacted them. In the beginning, they were like, nah, we don't want to go up against the government. Some other people talked to them. And they're like, no, this is the guy you want to get involved with. And boom, they did, man. They picked me up and they um, they created a legal defense fund for me, which saved my life. And so many people donated to it, which was just unbelievable. Like for my lawyers, because New York lawyers, you know, they got to be more expensive than everybody else. Right, right. But there was too many, I have too many people that are so smart telling me, they're like, you got, you got screwed, you got railroaded. You know, it's, it's a true case of retaliation and betrayal, collusion, you know, and lies, just true lies. And they're like, you have the facts and the truth on your side. You have policy on your side. But the government manipulates it. They cherry pick your words, you know, and they intimidate the judges. You know, it's all the government. So um, the judge ruled in favor 
of the marshals and said, no, you, they can terminate you and I'm going to stand by it, even though some of the policies don't make sense. Right. So, and for that judge, it means nothing, you know, okay, I'm going to, you're fired. And if you don't like the decision, appeal that decision to go to the next level of the Merit System Protection Board, a quorum, a three panel quorum, which is not in session because they have to be appointed by a president. So for over four years, nobody got appointed under Trump. And then you had, and now you got Biden. So, but it was just, so we put in our appeal and um, it's been sitting in there for well over a year. And Biden was able to push forward three people. Okay. One's an independent, a Republican and a Democrat, okay. which is great. And a lot of people are happy with the people that will push forward. So they get it. There's over 3000 cases that they have to review. A lot they just pushed through already. They were like, this is all bullshit. Well, one of the, the appointees, one of the judges, he already resigned. He now is representing with his his nonprofit organization, the FBI whistleblowers. So he was sitting before Congress saying how wrong the government is. Right. Which that guy would have been great for me. You know? yeah. But but um because I'm identified as a whistleblower, which is hard to comprehend when I just told the truth and I didn't I didn't report any extra crime or wrongdoing. I just brought forth what they did to this young lady, you know, and what they were doing to me. <clears throat> so now I'm, you know, I'm fired. My appeals are in, you know, I got no job. I got no benefits. Uh, I'm, I'm married and, um, you know, fighting to get, to get by. Well, so Robert, I got to go out. How are you making ends meet right now? Well, I got a job. I, um, I can't go too deep into it, but I'm a, a security consultant for a okay. private organization. And I do some traveling, Okay, which, you know, my, it, it's it's weird, you know. You get interviewed from people now, and then they Google you and they search your name, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not getting nothing, you know. Right. And plus, it was the pandemic, you know. I couldn't even go to Home Depot and get a job. I'm like, this is horrible. So, but I I got that job. It's it's been great. It saved me. Um, but not to go too deep into it more on my own personal thing, and it's because of my case, is that. Connecting with people on LinkedIn, I connected with these guys who were with the FBI. And they got screwed over by the, the agency, you know, for telling the truth. Sure. And they educated the hell out of me. They taught me about the Office of Personal Management and moving forward. And I'm a veteran. And they're like, you have over 30 years in the government. So I'm like, yeah, they're like, I, I started what they told me and I started researching. Well, I was able to get my retirement. So, you know, good does prevail over evil. Right. If you stay focused, you got to stay focused, man, and look at it. And they taught me, and I, I used the government against the government. So you you did and, get your retirement. Yeah, I got it um, last year. And, of course, it took them a couple of months to figure out my numbers. Right. And, um, yeah, I got my full retirement, thank goodness, my pension, 32 years. 
Um, and now my appeal, though, is still before the Merit System Board right. because they still owe me my retirement from the marshal service and that. And I, I'm trying to get back pay and attorney fees because right. it's big money. Um, so with that also, you know, going forward, um, I'm writing a book about this. I speak about it. I try to help other people who are in positions like me, especially with the government. I, that's what I know now. Like I know the Merit System Protection Board. I know what's going to happen and how you get screwed. Um, and the young lady who I defended. So as much as I defended her, she's defending me now. Right. She's outspoken. Is she still she, part of the agency or not? No, she retired. Um, and she filed an EEO against the government, but it becomes very, it's overwhelming, you know, and everybody's different. And, you know, on the recommendations of our lawyers, they settled with the government, but she couldn't take it. any. she was getting, it's a lot, right. you know, and she, she's, right. a, you know, she's a single woman now, you know, right. her girl, her and her girlfriend broke up because of a lot of this stuff. And, um, you know, she had no bodyguards. Like I was, I'm in Florida. She's in New York. So she, you know, she has a family, but it's still a lot and you're going up against the government. So she settled her EEO and got a lot of money and uh, retired. And she, you know, her and I are very good friends close together and, you know, keep talking about things. Right. And moving Did, forward. Um, you know. So so your move to Florida, was that prompted by the, the problems that you were having in New York? Yes. I couldn't, these guys at times would show up at my house and I was about 60 miles from Brooklyn to my house in Suffolk County. And um, we have a mother and daughter house. It was me and my wife, and my mother-in-law. Our neighbors were telling my, my wife and my mother-in-law, like this cop sitting on the lock watching. And you know, some of my neighbors, I'm like, hey, write down the plate, let me know. And you get the plate, run it. You're like, oh, it's some undercover cop there. Right. And um, I never saw him, but we knew it was for us. And we found out later on that they who they were. And it was from the task force, some guys from there. Well, not only that, is people were coming onto our driveway and putting screws in our tires to even my wife's car, my wife, who had nothing to do with this. And she, you're just putting screws in the sidewall. You're ruining the tire or whatever. She's getting a flat tire while she's driving. Thank goodness it's only a flat tire. It's not exploding. But they're doing it to my personal car, my work car. I was getting pulled over sometimes at nighttime by some of these guys out in Suffolk because my windows were too dark. The tinting was too dark. But you run my plate and it comes back. On, you know I'm a cop. <laughs> so they're trying to get you. And they, right. they can, man. They can. I was I was just, I'm just a U.S. Marshal. You know, there's only 200 of us in New York. Right. You know, so these local police departments have thousands. Right. So you got to, you got, it's tough to go up against them. I, I do want to ask you some questions about. Yes, uh, please. About the case. Um, before I do that. You know, I was I was federal prisoner, um, cybercrime. This is what I was, and uh, hardcore. You're hardcore. Well, I mean, 
pled guilty to 39 felonies, uh, went to prison, escaped from prison. Of course, you guys picked me up from that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, what I wanted to say, you know, I was on Con Air twice and dealt with you guys extensively. <laughs> and uh, the biggest letdown I ever had was Con Air. You know, I'd seen the movie with Nick Cage and I was sitting there going, <laughs> they told me I was flying on Con Air and I was like, well, shit, man, I've got it made now. I want to see this shit and get on an Alaskan Airlines plane. And I'm like, well, this is the biggest letdown on the planet. But, uh, <laughs> you know, one thing that always stuck with me and it sticks with me to this day is um, the way the U.S. Marshals treated inmates and um, just the utmost respect. Um, and that that really stuck with me, man. You, you, you guys treated us like human beings with courtesy, respect. And uh, I mean, you were professional across the board. Make no mistake about that. But um, you treated us as human beings. And, and these days, when I whenever I meet a marshal, I, I thank them for uh, for the way they treated me because it it meant a lot at a time when uh, when you're 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 hitting rock bottom and you think the end is nigh and you're never going to amount to anything um it meant a lot back then and I just wanted to thank you for for being a marshal and uh, for treating others with respect because I, every single one I ever, ever encountered was like that um I just wanted to say that it, it it truly does. It means a lot to me. Brett, that's a, that's a, I appreciate you saying that. It's a really nice thing to say, but I, and I think I, I, I molded my career off that. Like we're dealing with, you know, bad people, right. You know, people, guys or girls that commit crime and they outnumber us in the cell block and transport. And especially in Brooklyn, I mean, we would have a, a regular Chevy or Ford van, you know, you put 12, people in the back and you're face to face we're face to face and like i said i i would have to go into mdc or mcc or a local jail and you have to handcuff guys and girls face to face you're right. inches away from each other and you're breathing on each other and you're talking to each other and asking your name what you're a person you know and i i, I maintained a great um reputation in in the courts in the cell block with with inmates or or arrestees or or fugitives or perps, you know, I was known on the street, you know, and I, it didn't bother me at all. And I gave, I de developed, you know, informants and sources, and they had my number. You know, right. I had I had inmates call me from jail and put me on their list, <laughs> you know, and I, I I spoke for them when I in court, or I right. I I made the good faith statement to. U.S. attorneys and probation officers like, no, this guy's, you know, it's giving me good, solid information, you know, like, let him out. What do you, what do you, especially us marshals, our biggest cases were getting probation violators. Right. Oh, because you smoked weed when you're out there and you, and you want this guy or girl to report to probation at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. He's working. Let him go to right. work. Right. So it, they, they mess with you. Um, but thank you for saying that. And I I I um I know what you're saying because it is the guys and the girl marshals that are at the deputy level and the supervisor right. level that are interacting every day with inmates. It's not the people in headquarters that are making decisions to tell you how to do your job. Exactly. Like, hey, exactly. come into a cell block. It's it's hard. Right. You know, it's tough. You know, you had um you said you went into the Navy after, after high school. So, and you went into military police. Um, what prompted 
you wanted to go into law enforcement? Nobody in my family is law enforcement. Um, there's a there's a man back in my hometown that I look up to. He wound up becoming a homicide detective in NYPD. And he's like a town hero. I love this guy. Um, and he's been there from day one to save my life, like to fight for me. But it was um, it was Friday nights while I was in high school, nine o'clock at night, New York time, watching Miami Vice with my dad. And I'm like, Sonny Crockett is the coolest guy Crockett in the world. Crockett and Tubbs. That's it, man. <laughs> and you got to appreciate Tubbs. He was like, he gets jammed up in New York and leaves New York <laughs> to go to Miami. And then he's loving life. But Crockett, man, I, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a cop like that. Okay. And that's what got me into it. <laughs> so so military police, what uh, what did you usually, what was the most things you dealt with? Uh, theft. A lot of theft. A lot of that. Yeah. Inmate, uh, I say inmates, but <laughs> so soldiers stealing from each other or what? Sailors, sailors. Let's get the right language. Here. Sailors, sorry. <laughs> sorry. You're right. Sailors, sailors uh, stealing from each other. Sailors and Marines. Yeah. Um, from the commissary on the bases. Um, but then another big thing was um, I was in Italy in La Maddalena. Beautiful. It was awesome, man. The Italian girls were so beautiful. And, uh, there was dependence from military spouses and we had, they were shipping mescaline back from the States to Italy. And then we, you know, like I got involved with having to do that. And I worked with when they were called NIS, now they're NCIS. Okay. And, you know, we intercepted some, you know, petty, petty drug trafficking you know, from military dependents, um, a lot of alcohol-related incidents, fights, um, and of course, some sex sex crimes, you know, um, sexual assault or even a rape here and there. Right, right. But that so was really it. Busy. Yeah, but you stayed busy, it sounds like. It was exciting. Yeah. It was a, exciting, and um, you learn a lot at a young age, and you become very mature and independent at a young age. Like you leave high school and join the military. I think the military is great. I think everybody right. should go in. Right. And I I'm, sure that, uh, I'm sure that military discipline carried over to the U.S. Marshals as well, right? Of course, big time. And you can tell the difference in some people who just went to college and stayed, lived at home in their parents' house until they got married, you know, compared to go, leaving. I was 17 years old and I left, you know. And right. You left New York and I was having a great time. And but what am I going to do? I wasn't going to college and I, I wasn't going to be a, a cop or a fireman. You know, I wanted to go into the military. I wanted to become a federal agent and I was following my path. Right. And, um, you know, you got to be disciplined. And I, you know, thank goodness for my mom and dad. And they were, they pushed for me to do it. And even my friends from back home in, in Rockaway. I mean, I'm still friends with those guys. They're, I've been friends with them since kindergarten and we're still friends today, you know, and they big supporters. So. I, I loved it. I loved everything I did in the Navy. I, I I did almost seven years. And, you know, my regret is that I didn't stay and do the reserves. Right. But, you know, I came back to New York. I was 24, 25 years old and hooking up with my friends and partying and working and loving life. Where all did, where all did you travel in the Navy? Um, I was in Pensacola for a good year or so. Then I was in Bahrain 
during Desert Storm in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. And then I went to La Maddalena, Italy, which is an island off the mainland of Italy in Sardinia. Okay. Un it's unbelievable. Yeah, um, I know. You, I, I could hear in your voice you liked that. What do you think of the Middle East? <laughs> it was, I, I didn't mind. I do, it's amazing. It, today, it's amazing. I mean, look at um, UAE and Kuwait. Kuwait's right. the richest country in the world. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I was over and, in, uh, I was in Saudi uh, last November, and uh, it's the first time I've ever been over there. And yeah, they, they are doing all kinds of stuff over there. I yeah. Mean, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> well, Bahrain was great. It's a neutral country. All the embassies are there. And um, but it's scary as hell because you had dead storm going. So it's every day you heard the the air alarms from Scud missiles coming. Right. And uh, but I mean the desert storm was you know it took two days and we won the war. You right. Know? It's right. nothing much. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing like what these guys went through today. So right, right. But so it's you, still great. You you get out, you join the marshals, and um, I mean you you had one hell of a career at the marshals. I mean, you truly did. I had an awesome career. We made some, we worked on some major, major cases. What I mean, of, me, what were the major cases that you worked on? If you can talk about those. Well, one is um, El Chapo, of course, came into Eastern New York. And so that did you was, get to see and deal with El Chapo or not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What yeah. kind of a son of a bitch was that? Nah, he, well, he played the game that he didn't speak English, but he okay. was, uh, what, what are you going to do? You got marshals on you all day long, you know, and. He did whatever we told him to do, and that was it. Um, but the security around our courthouse was insane because you still had these maniacs that think they were going to break them out and get millions of dollars. Right. And, um, you know, any attempts was, to do that or not? No, there was some stuff on social media, some hits there and there, but nothing crazy like that. Okay. And then you would have some maniac people that have just come into the courthouse to try to like see him or touch him and get a picture. Like, what the hell are you doing? Um, like he's the Pope or something. Yeah. I mean, this is the biggest criminal in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Easily. And I'm proud to say that I was involved with working some of that stuff because some of the marshals were assigned with the DEA to work it. So I was involved. Right. And it's amazing. It's just me. And the people that worked on that case are just the smartest men and women in the world that can do investigations. I mean, there, there's some people out there that you never hear from in your whole life. And these, these people are amazing. They're great. Was there, um, a, was there ever a time when you were at the Marshall? I mean, I'm sure there was that you were, uh, that you were frightened for your life. Yeah. I've been involved in four shootings um, in, in New York, three in Queens and one out in Long Island. Um, and it was, it was the last shooting. And um, we went and tracked this guy down and he was, in a an illegal house apartment, and uh, he wound up putting on a bulletproof vest and had two guns. And we we breached the door. A couple of people got in there, and I was the last person. And next to me was another young lady who worked with me. And her and I were by the doorway to go in, and there were six people marshal men in that apartment and it was small you know it's very small right and the the bad guy opened the door and just stuck his hand out and started shooting and in your mind you could feel the bullets 
going past, you feel, you're like, you know, and I, I, I tightened up and I shrunk up. I was the size of a two by four at that moment to get protection. And all I saw was this young lady that worked for me. And it's not the same girl that I protected. Another girl just standing there and she too just, you know, stood solid, but never left to post. Right. Stayed right there. And the guys in there were all able to take cover and return fire. And these guys were great. And they, um, they connected, they shot him in his hand and shot the gun. And he went, picked up another gun and we had NYPD guys outside doing an outside perimeter. And he started shooting out the window. Jesus. So when that was happening, we were able to, you know, somewhat retreat and get better coverage. We had shields out and we were able to control the entrance to the door where he couldn't escape unless he went out a window but we had that covered right and um he then opened the door and came out to surrender and he's got a gun in his hand he's wearing a bulletproof vest with a holster sewed sewed into the vest so he was prepared yeah and coming out and we were able to give commands to get him to surrender where he threw the gun at us and we took him down. And and in New York, it's NYPD is unbelievable. The response, you know, for for backup within seconds. And once you hear, you know, once like for us on the street, because we worked with the NYPD, once you go on that radio and call central for help that there's a shooting 1013 or the the army shows up. It's unbelievable. Right. And the ambulances that like they were there. This guy wasn't even in handcuffs, and we had ambulance there for him. And you have professionals. You have, and these medics, they're, they're doctors. I mean, they are those EMT guys. They're they can do more than a doctor can do in a hospital from head to toe within seconds. And unbelievable, there was twenty five round shots. And he was the only one hit. Well, that's good. It's <laughs> and then he sued us for police oh, brutality. Of course he did. You yeah. shot him in the hand. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're, we had to, I had to go through that. And that was while I was getting terminated. So now the U.S. attorneys have to represent me in that case. And a nice kick in the ass to me right. was that I was being talked about and nominated to become a presidential appointee under Trump for Eastern New York to be the U.S. Marshal. But I had my own agency investigating me as if I'm a criminal. Good God, man. So you can't, it just. So, so before we, before we get into that, what, what happened to this perp? Did he ever get out of prison after that? No, sir. He's in <laughs> and uh, he's doing life. Of course he is. Cause we got him on a homicide drugs and of course, shooting at us. Right. And then NYPD is looking at him for another. And then he admits it. He says he buried a guy that they killed at the house of his ex-wife. Jesus Christ. So you're like, it's of course, it's like a law and order episode, you know? Right, right. That's what it is. So you had said um, what struck me when you were talking. First of all, so predominantly, it's a male environment. Is yes. what I'm guessing. Yes. 
but you had uh, there 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 were women agents in the office before, and you just you just mentioned one. Had had any of those women agents had any difficulties at all before the one we're talking about, or not? Not so blatant as what happened to her, but yes, when investigators started coming in to investigate and do interviews. Two or three other women marshals told their experiences with some of these men. And it was it was deeper. One lady who was a supervisor brought up that the one man that assaulted our marshal was in the gym in leaving the sauna in his white underwear that was soaking wet that you could see through. And he did it other times in front of the cleaning women ah. and would stand there and look at them. So you're like, and this is all comes out right. afterwards. We're like, what the hell is going on here? Like these are grown men yeah. and these men are married to women and some of them have daughters. And this is, what you're doing. Right. It's just, had, had any of those women um, filed any type of complaints beforehand or anything like that? The cleaning lady brought it to the attention, but it never made it up high enough to go anywhere. And they, what happened was the contracted company that was doing the cleaning didn't want to lose the contract. Right. So they just put her on a different floor. Right. But when things started talking, that's when it all came out. Of course, nobody wants to come forward. They're afraid. I mean, and that's 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 not outside the norm. You 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 get that in these work environments of someone that's harassing someone, and instead of doing proper protocols, they simply move that person to a different position or, and hush it up, sweep it under the rug, don't want to lose a contract, don't want to upset people, anything else like that. I mean, that's not uncommon. Um, you had said you had mentioned that that word culture. What and and hey, I mean. In prison, I mean, we bust each other's balls, I, and I'm sure in in law enforcement, I know I know in military it's like that. Um, but there's a difference between busting one another's balls and sexually harassing another individual. You know, it, it's the story. What you've told me about this woman, you know, urinating in a jar, um, making her kiss the guy on a daily basis. Um, haranguing her about her her sexual preferences, trying to date her girlfriend, uh, assaulting her as her as her arresting a perp, trying to run her off the road. Um, it is it's breathtaking to think that you would have that in an agency such as the U.S. Marshals. You know, it, it truly is. And then you've got the higher ups that instead of, because again, we don't want to upset anybody. We don't want a bad, we don't want any black eyes on our agency. So instead of it blaming it on, you know, where it needs to be blamed on, they find a, a you and decide that it's your fault. And that's, I mean, Robert, I just, God damn, man. I mean, this is this is this is some serious shit. It's disappointing, right? 
Yeah. When you say that, when you yeah. say it like that, it's very disappointing. What has me stand out higher than them all is that I had the support of every chief I ever worked for yeah. in the district. Until today, I still have the support of my direct chief who's still working today, and he's actually a lawyer. Um, I have the support of hundreds and hundreds of people. And all we did was tell the truth. We just yeah. came forward. And all they had to do was remove two or three people in the beginning and but get it snowballs, better. right? I mean, it, snowballs. it snowballs. You, you, because it starts once, where you, yeah, if you would have taken care of it to begin with, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But instead, you don't, you delay. And when you delay, that ball keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it finally just crushes yeah. everything because it put a huge black eye on that task force. It was talked about nationwide. Here it is today. It's still being talked about. And you see it every day on the news with yeah. all these different whistleblowers that come out. We have no good leaders. We have no discipline. We have no focus or structure on what needs to be done. And it could be simple things. Stop telling me that we're going to have all these classes or we have to have a conversation. You have to do things now on. You have to remove people from certain things. You have to take people totally out of certain jobs, but they don't do that. Well, that's, every... that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I ask you, you brought that discipline with you from the military. And um, I've been very fortunate to, uh, I've been to Quantico a few times talking to, um, to the CISO Academy there. And I've met a lot of agents. I have a, the utmost respect for, uh, for the work that's done at, at Quantico and the work that the FBI does. Um, I, I truly do. One of the things that, uh, that strikes me is you've got, let's be honest, you've got two different types of, of agents there. You've got, you've got the guys that come through the ranks and then you've got the guys that don't know what the hell they're frigging doing. And a lot of the times those guys that don't know what the hell they're doing get placed in a position of authority. And it sounds like I, I may be barking up the wrong tree here. I mean, you came through the ranks from, from military, bringing the discipline of the military with you, worked yourself up through the ranks to where you've got a storied, respectable career. I mean, you are outstanding. And then you've got these other guys that I don't know if they came through the ranks or not. You know, it doesn't sound like they that they had a whole lot of discipline or a whole lot of, you know, integrity about them. And they don't do the right damn thing at the end of the day. No, that's a good way to look at it. And I agree with you 100%. And maybe I'm old school, even though I'm young old school, Yeah. that there needs to be structure. And law enforcement is a hands-on job. You have to be physically fit. You got to be mentally prepared and you got to be willing to do more than the next person. Calling a cop, being a cop is a hard job. Right. You're getting called. You're doing, you're dealing with bad people. You're going to bad things. You're intervening on problems. You got to be able to handle that. And when you lower the standards and change the qualifications, and do away with requirements, you're hurting the people you're hiring, you're hurting the departments and the agencies, and then most of all, you're hurting the community. You really are. The, the young lady that I defended, she was athletic. She's not a, a, a weightlifter or anything, but she's fit. She can take care of herself. Right. She played soccer and softball and coached young kids in that. And she was busy. She would do 
um, exercise. Some, there was two or three other women that I worked with were in a gym. One of them was a kickboxer. You're not messing with her, with her more so than the guys. Some of the guys today, and you know, it, it's all about feelings, holding hands and skipping down the road. You can't do that. Right. I mean, you, you look what happened the other day in New York, in the city with giving out a PlayStation at complete chaos and you're throwing bottles at cops and there's 10 cops against 2000 people. It, it, it's wrong. You can't, the way you're raising children today, listen, you can't beat a kid to death, but every now and then somebody needs to be smacked in the ass. I mean, it's yeah, just horrible. There's a, there's there, I mean, look what happened yesterday or the day before in, in Alabama Yeah, with that man who just moved the boat from one cleat to another cleat and he was attacked by five other people. Right. That's going to turn into a whole racial scenario now. Right. It's going to go bad. And they're going to make examples of those, those white guys who attacked that black man. They have to, the media have to make examples. Right. Instead of just saying it's those white guys, those five white guys are pieces of shit. And that one black man did nothing wrong. Like exactly. That's exactly. it. But it, the way it is today, the culture, it just changed, totally changed. And it 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 for my case, those men, they were all white guys. They used a race card. What better thing is to call a white guy a racist in the culture back in 2015, 2016, when it's just coming to that level? And but you have no evidence against me. But once you throw that racist word out there, it's I over. take it, and 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 I didn't I didn't want to ask this, but I take it that the individual who said that was a person of color or not. I'm sorry. Was was the person who said that you had said the N word? Was he a person of color as well, or or not? No, none of them. Ah, none of them. And uh, but I did have one man who was a friend of mine who worked with me from Queens a black man, and he was a, a BOP guy before he became a marshal. And we're very good friends, same age. He went in the army, I was in the Navy. We like started our careers, the similarities. Right. And he wrote one of the most heartwarming letters ever. And he thanked the marshal for investigating racism, but he, he just, he, Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right, right. And he did it to the marshal service. He goes, you're investigating the wrong man. I know Bobby Lettiger, and it's not him. Come talk to me. But they didn't. Of course not, because they you don't know? want to know the truth. They want to sweep this shit under the rug and be done with it. Yeah. You know, what happened to the uh, to the individual that was harassing the woman? Is he still part of the agency or not? No, they're all gone. They're all gone. They're all gone. The um, one deputy marshal, he retired before it all started. Okay. Um, the one cop who groped her, he retired within 30 days of her complaining. Okay. The guy who tried to fight me and assaulted her, he was kicked off the task force and he retired from local. He was a sheriff. Okay. The man who supported him, his partner, was a probation officer. He was removed from the task force. Nobody knows what happened to him. Right. And then the supervisor of those men, my counterpart, he 
was proposed removal because he got caught up into actually lying. But the funny thing with that is his deciding official was the same deciding official who fired me. Well, she let him retire ah. in lieu of staying and getting anything because so, he was eligible. I was not eligible. Right. But so if they would have just dragged my case out two or three months, I would have been retired. So you become the sacrificial lamb. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, all the all the pieces of shit that were responsible for this, they quietly tell them to go into that good night and just kind of hopefully it'd be it's forgotten over time. Of course, it's going to be forgotten over time right, because they don't expect me or, or her to say anything. And they had to answer to Congress because the young lady, she wrote letters to Senator Gillibrand, Congressman Peter King, right. Senator Grassley. And Senator Grassley's office actually takes some language from her case and my case to include it into his report of investigation of misconduct by the marshals that creates an inquiry. But the marshals are able to come back and say, we fixed that problem right. because we identified the problems. So, and it's not just, you know, I, I, your story is is not just a unique story. It's it's not this outlier. I mean, this, this is a problem that we have heard time and time again with the Secret Service. We've seen it uh, with, with different agencies, both at state, local, federal levels as well. How do you solve... A problem like this? Do, do, do we need some sort of, I know you said internal affairs, but do, do you need some sort of outside auditing agency that oversees this stuff? I mean, how do you, how do you potentially solve these, these problems that are going on? You definitely need an outside agency to come in and look at that. Even a, even a, a private civilian organization, even like law firms to review it. Um, as well as like open the door and start some kind of program with law colleges to review some of these cases and make recommendations. You cannot have even agency internal affairs investigate themselves. You can't have that. Right. You cannot have leadership staying in leadership positions throughout their career. You can't become a leader after three or five years on a job and running an agency, you can't, it's not, it's unbelievable. It's not workable. Right. You can't do that. And that's the problem with the marshal service. And that's the only agency I can talk about right. is that they let marshals go to headquarters after three or five years on a job and they're groomed to rise up through the ranks. And you can't create, that's an admin job. You're an administrator now in headquarters. You should not get all the perks of what, not the perks of all the, the funding that, the guys and girls in the districts are doing. That's where the work is. That's where you're dealing with the real job of the Mercer service, not in headquarters where right. you're writing a policy and getting awards for writing a policy to use, you know, a black pen instead of a blue pen. Come on. Right. You know, it, it, you can't do that, but that's the problem. And it needs to be restructured. And the government is way too big. You can't have, even with all these agencies, like with the problem with the FBI or the DEA with, with, the DA is the leader with drugs. They need to investigate drugs. And 
maybe merge ATF with the DEA because right. with drugs is guns. Yeah, almost you always. <laughs> you don't have the FBI work in those cases. You know, and have the FBI take the Secret Service. Listen, your job is just protection. Why are you investigating financial crimes? Right. Give that to the FBI. It's just distorted. And they're all screwing each other over, trying to get extra money. Is there any, um, is, have you seen any type of movement toward that type of uh, reconciliation or, you know, fixing this problem or not? No, it gets shut down. And what are we going to do? We're going to, we, we, you and I, taxpayers get hurt when they have all these congressional hearings. Nothing comes out of it. All the evidence is exposed to the public, so it can't be used in court. It's all tainted. So we're still going to argue about Russian collusion or um, the, the the server or emails. Right. Come on, where are we going with this? You know, Robert, I want to um, I want to tell you I I I appreciate you coming on the show. I uh, I, I have the utmost respect for the work that you've done. Um, I have you have no idea how much. Um, how much I respect you just regardless of the, the environment that you were in, all the pressure that you had to be going uh, under, the, uh, the harassment that you were going through, for you to uh, stand up straight and just do the right goddamn thing, that speaks volumes as to who you are and what type of man you are. And um, I truly respect that. I truly do. Um, I, I really hope I'm, I'm tickled to death that you got your retirement and I really hope that you are able to clear your name on this and that, that you get the, 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 the respect that you de- absolutely deserve at the end of the day. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I, I truly hope it happens. I truly do. Well, Brett, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. It's really nice. And thank you for the opportunity to come on your show. You know, it was, it's, it's kind of tough. You know, we have different backgrounds, so we do, you know, we do to come into it, but <laughs> I appreciate what you said and thank you very much. And, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, someone like you listening to me and believing me and hearing what I had to say, and like you say, you can hear it in my voice, my tone, and you know, when people are lying and bullshitting around or whatever, right. I have the documents to prove it, just like everybody else. And there's too many articles about me and and stories about me out there. There's no reason to lie. It's going to come out. And, you know, thank goodness for my wife, who's been behind me at 100% since day one. Right. And what got me going to to fight this, you know, like you can never quit. You know, all of us know that. you got to move forward because the most important thing in this world is money because you need money to survive. You got to live. And if it wasn't for my wife telling me the one day that she was proud of me for protecting Dawn. And that was it, man. That's the only thing you need, you know, and and it's, it's weird and it keeps you going. And then moving forward and having other people tell you what you did wrong and what you did right and what you have to do and taking advice and listening to them and moving forward. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're done. You're dead in the water. I agree. And you can't be. You got to fight on. Robert Lettiger, U.S. Marshal, 
I know you said you you speaking you speak you you're working on a book. If people want to contact you, how can they go about contacting you? The only thing I have is LinkedIn under my name. All um, right, LinkedIn it is. So if you, <laughs> look, if you want Robert to speak for you, and I, you've heard the man here, you've heard his story, you've heard his testimony, you know that he is an outstanding human being. He does the right damn thing every single day, regardless of the consequence. So if you want this man to speak for you, and I, I, I tell you, you do, find him on LinkedIn, Robert Lettiger, and we'll have his LinkedIn uh, profile linked into the show notes as well. Robert, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Brett Johnson Show. Thank you, Brett. All right, so that was episode number 82 of the Brett Johnson Show. I, hey, what to say? Um, I am disappointed that Robert Lettiger was treated that way, but not only him, the agent that suffered that sexual harassment, that violence which was perpetrated upon her, and how that was kind of, or you know, they wanted to sweep that under the rug, and they made Mr. Lettiger basically the the fall guy for everything, and he has suffered uh, greatly because of that. You know, it's. Um, I can understand someone that's a, a former criminal being, you know, looked down upon and mistreated. But uh, Mr. Lettiger made a career of law enforcement, of doing the right thing, of uh, making our society safer. And when he was presented with that internal problem of, of an, a fellow agent being sexually harassed, and when he took up for her, the higher ups not having his back of basically, you know, doing away with him, making him that fall guy. Disappointing to say the least. And I'm hopeful that uh, Mr. Lettiger is able to redeem his name and his good standing because he absolutely deserves it. My name is Brett Johnson. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to listen. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you don't like the show, please subscribe. I need all the subscribers I can get. I don't care where you subscribe, if it's iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube. But please press that subscribe button. Please leave me some feedback. If you've got a uh, guest that you think would be a, a good fit for this show, let me know. If you've got something, you've, a problem, if you think that there's some way to improve the show, let me know. I read all the comments, and I typically will respond to all the comments. So just know that. Know that I'm very grateful that you take time out of your day to tune in and listen to this show. And I truly do appreciate that. My name is Brett Johnson. We're going to close things out. How do we close it out? We close it out the same way every single time. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant. But most importantly, understand that this is the Brett Johnson show. And at the end of the day, just do the right damn thing. My name is Brett Johnson. Until next time.